Hi everybody. I've got a question for you. Have you ever thought about, as human beings, but individually, but at collectively too, have you ever noticed or even thought about or acknowledged the fact that we are, I don't know if I should say obsessed, but we are fixated on or with outward appearances and not just about people. We like the way things look. We like the outer things. We like the externals. Let me give you a bunch of scriptures. Not a bunch, but several. And listen to these and see if you can pick up on a common thread, especially now that I've drawn your attention to it. Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3, talking about Jesus. Isaiah says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He was despised and rejected by men. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. Matthew 23, verse 27, Jesus said, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. 1 Peter 3, 3 says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. James 2, verses 2 and 3. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Matthew 5.28 But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And even in this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 23, talking about the church, but it's from God's point of view, it says, And on those parts of the body, body of Christ, the, the church, that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Now look at these words. I want you to go back and hear all these words, okay? There's form and majesty and look. And then there's beauty. And then whitewashed and outwardly and appear beautiful. And then we have external and hair and jewelry and clothing. And then we have wearing a gold ring, fine clothing, shabby clothing.
And we have looks and lust, which refers to the heart, but the eyes, the subject of the eyes. And then we have saw, and we have delight to the eyes. And then, on the other one, we said, look less honorable and appear unpresentable. Have you thought about those? Have you heard those before? So like I said, do you notice a recurring theme or a thread in these verses? If it shows us that man, not if, it shows us that man and the Lord view things very differently, and rightly so, to our advantage. See, the object of our gaze is not the same as God's. Our perspectives are dissimilar. We, humankind, are fascinated with the externals, the temporary, the superficial, the outward appearances. But Jesus Christ is not. He's focused on the internals, the eternals also, the, the deep, the inward state of things, or the inward <clears throat> state of a man or a woman. And here's the summation of the matter. And because, okay, it's found in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And this is how I started this whole thing off. I was just questioning to myself, why? Why are we, mankind, why are we like this? We are so intent, if you think about it, on the externals of life, and we give so little attention or thought to what's beneath the surface. Science is a whole field that is almost obsessed with only the measurable and the observable. That if something can't be verified through testing or experimentation and outward validation, it's rejected outright. And now that I think about it, it seems like Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, should have been a scientist because <laughs> He said, in response to the other disciples talking to him about they had seen the resurrected Lord, what was his response? Do you remember? He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. <laughs> Sounds like a scientist to me. Okay. Now that's one of, if not the main reason, that science and faith or Christianity seem to be butting heads all the time. Now, going back to why are we, mankind, fixated with the outward appearances? Well, one reason is what the Bible calls sensuality. And today's sexually saturated and sexually deviant world, we often equate sensuality with sex. And this is part of the meaning, but it also means the condition of being pleasing or fulfilling to the senses. Thus, we call it sensuality. This is, this is just the world's, the dictionary's definition, but it's correct. The Bible's sensuality is 
asogia, if I'm saying it correctly, and it takes a step further to mean outrageous conduct, conduct shocking to public decency, although we know the standard is a swinging pendulum in society. It's a wanton violence, a wantonness or a like, um, lewdness. And it also means to reject restraint. That's very interesting, okay? In other words, if you should be showing restraint on just about anything in your life, okay, but you reject restraint, you throw it out the window, you don't exercise caution, you don't think about the right, you don't exercise judgment or anything, you just do, okay? Now, this is a good reference for today's world since we rarely, if ever, stop to consider a matter or a feeling or an emotion. We just do, like I said, we just do what we don't think about it twice. We just don't. And on top of that, we reject authority. So there is no end to our sensuality. Since our culture is so sexually drenched, and we are physical beings with the ability to see and to touch and to smell and taste and hear all of our senses, it's logical and easy to understand why appearances are attractive to us. Now another reason, so number one, one reason is the senses. Senses are physical things. They pick up the outward appearances, the, the way things see, smell, hear, touch, whatever. Okay, But another reason is because in addition to being physical beings, we're also, we also have souls. What the Bible also refers to as hearts, although it's not talking about our organs, it's talking about our our inner man or or our innermost being. Now Jesus tells us his conclusion of the state of the human heart even before the end of the trial or the judgment. This is often overlooked or eclipsed by John 3.16, but three verses later in John 3.19, it says this, it says, and this, and Jesus is talking, and this is the judgment. In other words, I've seen everything, I know all the human hearts, you know, I, I, I know what man is like, and this is the judgment based on the evidence brought to court. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds and works were evil. Now since our hearts are inclined towards sin and our hearts are internal, we would rather focus on the external. Let me read that again. I hope you get the connection and the logic. And since our hearts are inclined towards sin and our hearts are internal and we don't come to the light because our hearts and our deeds and our works are evil and we don't want them exposed, we would rather focus, instead of the internal, on the outward appearance. We can attempt to deflect the need to acknowledge our sinful states and repent. We can deflect the need, or at least try to, to something external. In other words, we don't want to address the internal, so we deflect the problem by focusing on the external. 
And by the way, this doesn't fool God. Remember when Adam was confronted by God, he deflected inward guilt by pointing to the external act of it being Eve's fault. She did the same thing by pointing the blame at Satan, the serpent. And when Samuel confronted Saul's lack of being totally obedient to God in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when I was in Lima many years ago, Lima, Peru, and I was teaching school by the grace of God for two years. I had a sixth grade and a seventh grade class. And the sixth graders were my homeroom team. I was homeroom kids, I guess you could say. God brought me to this 1 Samuel 15. You should go and read it, especially verses 22 and 23. But Paul says that Saul said this. He says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, but the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction. Go back and read that. 1 Samuel 15, but especially verses... Um, I think it's 15, it's um, 12 and 13. See, Samuel was given clear instructions by God. He did part of it, but not all of it. And because the part that he didn't do was very obvious, Samuel the prophet came to him and called him out <laughs> and said, why didn't you do what God told you to do? And he said, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. He says, but the people, not me in other words, deflecting guilt, but the people took of the spoil and the sheep and the oxen and the best of the things devoted to destruction. In other words, I'm not going to cop to it. I'm not going to acknowledge it. It's my internal guilt. So I'm going to deflect it by focusing on the external, the people that are around me. So the second reason is to deflect blame, to outwardly look to or at others rather than looking inwardly. A third reason is that it's much easier, honestly, to deal with the outward, the external, the superficial, the things on the surface. Now, a lot of the Western medical system is built on this. We deal with topical ointments and band-aids and pills to treat things according to the symptoms we feel and see on our outer layers, rather than taking the proper time, the effort, and the care, and the due medical diligence to discover and treat the cause of the problem, the issue, or the disease. I should get an amen there. And I know this. I've talked to my family doctor, and he's, he's told me this. And he's a Christian, but he, he, he freely admits when they go to medical school, they're taught all about, at least in the West, they're talking all about figure out what the problem is just by looking at it maybe or whatever, and then pills, pills, pills. That's why all these pharmace pharmaceutical companies are giants. But to not do the due diligence... Now, sometimes I know. We just look at it and we say, okay, I've seen this a hundred times before. I know what it is. And we deal with it. But And some things just take a Band-Aid or some Neosporin or something. But most times, we can only really treat what's on the outside as far as symptoms are concerned if we look to something internal rather than just the external. The external is just the fruit. We need to look at what's causing it on the inside. Otherwise, we're just treating it superficially and it's not going to fix it, at least not long term.
and it's liable to come up again and again and again. Like I said, sometimes the simple is effective. I'll give them that, but many times it isn't. So we end up dealing with an itch or a flare-up of some kind or a pain or a disease much longer than necessary, not to mention spending more money and enriching the pharmaceutical companies. We also live, right along with that, in an impatient have-it-now mindset and culture. Okay, that's why we have fast food. That's why we have microwaves. Okay, if surveyed, be honest, if surveyed, we would probably answer, you and I both, that we would favor the quickest and most pain-free and least intrusive path, even if it wasn't the right or the best approach. At least at first. Jesus was referring to judgments and opinions formed based on the evidence. And it applies here as well when he said in John 7:24, Do not judge by appearances, externals. The world will tell you that Jesus says, the Bible says, don't judge, don't judge. That's not true. We're supposed to judge rightly, not wrongly. But in 7.24 of John, it says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So he's talking about judging, and not medical or other things, but that's external. That's another thing on the outside. Okay, further than that, we are external beings. Okay, yes, our bodies die, but... Our souls have one of two external and eternal destinations, heaven with God or hell without God and with Satan. But we're focused on the short term, the temporal. This is connected to our senses, but it's a separate issue. The Lord Jesus said our focus, especially as believers, should be different. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, talking about Christians, is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, whatever we're facing, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, meaning they're temporal or passing away or fleeting. They don't last. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Think about that. We're focusing on and fixated on externals, on appearances, on outward things. And the Bible says the things that last forever and the things that are most important are invisible. They're internal. They're unseen. But the things we seem to be focusing on are the externals, the temporal things, the the things we can see. We've got it backwards. Okay? We've got it backwards. It should be flipped around. Externals. Let me see this again a different way. Externals, the outward appearances, are seen and therefore are temporary. The heart and the soul, the innermost being of a man, they're unseen. 
and therefore they're eternal. Now, God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, our Savior Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're eternal. And though he cares for and about the externals in our lives because he loves us with an everlasting love, that's eternal too, says Jeremiah, he cares more for and about the unseen, the eternal heart. We men, women, we know we are finite creatures. We die. We have an end to our days. Right now we have physical bodies that have senses through which we can perceive and know the world in which we currently live. And so we focus more on the human beings are so, so, so much more. But it illustrates the point very well. And you won't misunderstand it. You probably experienced and it's very relevant. Have you ever found yourself in a situation or in a particular place where it's dark and you turn on the light? If you're in the wrong place or the right place for these conditions to be met, immediately you see one or more roaches and they're scurrying all over the place for the dark place. Now over my lifetime, I've seen this several times. They don't like the light. They prefer and they love the darkness. Just like Jesus said we do. Remember he said this is the end of the matter. The light has come into the world, but we don't go to the light. We go to the darkness because we love our evil. We love our we don't want our evil deeds exposed. Okay? Remember we just talked about that, okay? So they prefer the darkness. They love the darkness. And this is part of their nature for whatever reason. But as you, I think, can already see, we are not dissimilar. Do you remember what Jesus again said this time in John chapter 3? was verses 18 through 20. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And then we'll say this again. And this is the judgment. Now this is bold, highlighted, underlined. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works, or deeds, or actions or speech, be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So if we have not come to Christ the light, we are roaches who hate the light. We don't want our evil deeds deeds exposed, And so we scurry away from the light to a dark place where we're more comfortable and can hide and settle and fit in. Or, you know, this is similar to what Adam did later 
excuse me, after he and Eve had sinned it first. Do you remember? Listen to these words, written for us in our instruction, Genesis 3, 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is after they sinned. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. How perfectly apt is that? Okay, who knows what he's talking about when he says that the Bible is not relevant. Hello. Do you see the comparison? But to the roach and to the scripture about the judgment, God came into the garden and the other scripture says the light has come into the world. Adam hid himself among the trees. And the other scripture says the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And everyone who does wicked things hates the light of the Lord and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. This is spot on. Hallelujah, Jesus. I don't know what else I would expect it to be, but I'm going to spot on. When I say here, okay, problems on the out, inside lead to problems on the outside. <laughs> That's your takeaway right there. Now, we have a conscience. We have a spiritual warning system. We don't like to admit it, but we know brothers and sisters and friends and even sinners that are still not saved yet. We know when we've sinned. We won't call it that. We've got another name for it so we don't get convicted, okay? But we know when we've sinned, when we've done something wrong, and that we are sinners fundamentally. We know these things. But rather than come to the light and receive mercy and forgiveness, we, in effect hide among the trees and scurry for the dark places. Why? Because as sinners, we love the darkness rather than the light. Our consciences tell us that we're guilty and we don't want to answer for that. In fact, that the excuse making comes very easily. You know, we call little kids um, innocent just because they're so young, but you know, they're not innocent. David said, I was born and even conceived in sin. You know, you don't have to teach a one or two or three-year-old to lie. <laughs> they know how to do it all on their own, okay? So we don't want to have to answer for that. But we have guilty consciences, and that's a good thing. We don't like it. It doesn't feel good. But it's a sensation or a feeling or a, or a red alert that we're supposed to admit it, not blame somebody else, not ignore the inner, the inward thing and deflect it by focusing on the external. We should go to God and ask for forgiveness and feel really sorrowful over it and contrite and genuine. And if we seek forgiveness, he gladly gives it to us. But these things are on his terms, not on ours. He's the boss, we're not. So we can focus on whatever tree we can hide behind, if you want to call it that, the externals of this world, of our lives. Let me say this again. Big, bold, red letters, 72-inch font or whatever, 72-point font. 
problems on the inside lead to problems on the outside. That's the bottom line in our reality for each and every person that's ever lived, is living now, and will live because we're sinful. But we don't address the problems on the inside. We focus, for many reasons, as we're talking about today, on the externals. We deflect answering for that and receiving mercy and forgiveness and having an eternal life. And so while we play around with different reasons for deflecting the guilt or ignoring it or justifying it or rationalizing or pointing the finger at somebody else, you know, we're playing Russian roulette. Only it's not really Russian roulette because that's a game of chance. We're not playing a game of chance. If we, if we, if we continue to, to, to focus on the externals, we never... Take the, we never take the responsibility, we never acknowledge, we never sorrow, we never ask for forgiveness, we never receive forgiveness. We're going to die in our sins for sure. Not maybe with one bullet out of six. It's like a fully loaded chamber. Now another reason that we're so singularly focused on externals, on outward appearances, is revealed in the Apostle Paul's words in the book of Galatians the people of Galatea. He says to us and them in chapter 1, verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. How telling is this? He's revealing to us that one more reason for us emphasizing external this is not because we're seeking to please or seeking to be approved by God, which we should, who deals with the hearts and the motives and the internals and the unseen things, but rather because we are more concerned or singularly concerned, to tell you the truth, if we're not born again, with pleasing man, whether that man is ourselves or everybody else, or some other people were around, or what family, friends, whatever. These are the externals, the seen, the visible things. This shows us where our priorities are versus where they should be. Our concerns and our priorities are out of whack. Just as we said, problems on the inside lead to problems on the outside, so too does addressing and correcting problems through God, not alone, not through man. Problems on the inside being addressed leads to addressing and correcting problems on the outside. Let me say that again. Just as problems on the inside lead to problems on the outside, if we address and want to correct the problems on the inside, it will lead to addressing and correcting the problems on the outside. We got it backwards. Now, Jesus told the Pharisees and his disciples clearly and pointedly this same thing while he addressed what defiles, meaning what makes unclean, what pollutes, what desecrates us. In Matthew 15, in verses 16 through 20, say this, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see? that whatever goes into the mouth, like food, passes into the stomach and is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come 
evil thoughts and murder and adultery, all kinds of sexual immorality, theft, false witness, lying, slander. These are what defile a person. Did you get that? Jesus is saying, problems on the outside, excuse me, problems on the inside, the internals, the unseen things, lead to problems on the outside, the external, the, the visibles. Let me read what he said again. It's very important. Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, internal, passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth, already in there, proceeds from the heart, the internal, and this defiles a person. Because out of the heart, out of the internals, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So he's saying problems on the inside lead to problems on the outside, not the other way around. We are dealing with the outward appearance only, guys. While we should be giving our attention to the internals, the matters of and the states of our hearts, we are wasting our time working from the outside in or just staying on the outside, which is worse. And it doesn't work that way. These kind of efforts are in vain. Now that leads perfectly into a very clear and present danger, spiritually speaking, but physically speaking too. And it's a perfect example. Transgenderism and outward appearances. In a very real sense, this issue is actually uh, a climax and a a timely, because we're living in the last days, a a global and a quintessential representation of what happens when the internal is infected and diseased and ignored while we put all of our attention and our strength and our knowledge and our resources on the externals, the band-aids and the topical creams and the pills we talked about earlier. Now you nor I, you could not, if the question was put to you, come up with a more insensitive and destructive approach than to not only in the incorrect and misapplied nouns of love and compassion leave the internal matters unaddressed yet affirmed and encouraged in favor of the unthinkable external approach of altering and disfiguring and dismembering and mutilating a person's body. The very essence and outwardly identifiable characteristics that externally make you who you are and separate separate you from others. Now, this is not my big issue of the day, but this is what I've heard and seen, but especially from people that are looking back on it with regret. Okay? People are trying to affirm them. They're trying to say everything is okay, but they know it's not okay, but they bought the lie. Hook, line, and sinker, and so many people. They're ensnared by Satan and they're just thinking they're loving people by just saying, I love you so much that I don't want to tell you the truth. I'm just going to let you do this for the moment. 
And then later on, you're going to say, Mom, Dad, why in the world did you let me do this? They look to you for guidance. Friends, they look to you for guidance. Medical professionals, they look to you for guidance. They trust you. Tell them the truth. That's love. But it, can you see how this problem is a, like you said, a quintessential? It, it, it's the climax of, 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 of taking an internal issue, whatever it is for the individual, and they seek to focus on it and take it to the extreme and, and seek out all these people that are focusing it all on the outside far more than a Band-Aid or a topical cream or a pill. They're, they're even medical professionals and, and people in government circles. They're all telling you external, external, external. And there couldn't be a bigger, better, more global, staring-in-your-face example of the fact that this is wrong. This is just a glaring example. And like I said, it, it couldn't be any more widespread than it is. And even in the cases where counseling and medical fields are trying to address the internal, at least in a psychological sense, there are two problems. Those attempting to look beyond the external are facing governmental, medical, and other obstacles, very big obstacles. And worse yet, the internals being addressed are usually temporal and earthly. They're not eternal and spiritual as they really should be. And so we go back to the core and the main reason of why we are focused on it, set our gazes on the outward appearances, almost to the exclusion of all else. It goes back to the beginning, almost the very beginning, but back to Genesis, to Adam and Eve and the serpent. And to Jesus' judgment in John 3, 19 and 20, and the roaches, again, he says the conclusion of the matter is having known the human heart's condition and his evidential fruit for thousands of years is this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved, meaning took pleasure in and longed for, the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So, looking inwardly, addressing the internal, the heart, would involve an acknowledgement of sin, the responsibility and ownership of one's wrongdoings, a confession of the same, and a willingness, a brokenness, a contrition, a repentance, a turning away from that sin which leads to death and depravity, and a turning to and following after, and a submission and obedience to the light, the Creator, the Father, the Judge, the Savior, the Redeemer of, of our internals when we focus on the externals. We can pay our lip service to our ills, but our actions only give additional evidence of our true desire to ignore the real problem, to shun the light, to scurry to and remain in and prefer the darkness. Why do we fixate on the externals and the outward appearances? That's the question. 
because we're like the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day, for whatever reason. He said to them, and is speaking to you, if indeed you are willing to humble yourself, admit your guilt, like I have, and call him my Lord and my God. And it says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And truthfully, this can be said for every single one of us if we haven't come to the light yet. Now, if this convicts you, it should. And it's actually good if you act on it according to the whole reason that Jesus came to the earth and willingly allowed himself to be killed in your place so that you might be cleansed of your sins and have eternal life in his name. Just a couple of verses before, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes and trusts in him fully for the salvation of his sins in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That was not his mission when he came back to the earth but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, did you get this? Let me say this. When we are like roaches and someone turns on the light and we run for the darkness because our deeds were evil and we don't like them exposed and we start blaming other people, pointing fingers, deflecting the blame, um... Focusing on externals instead of the internals. He said he didn't come to condemn us. So don't run. Don't run away. Don't hide like for the dark places like the roaches. He said, I have come not to condemn, Jesus said, but so that you can be saved. But that means you got to run to me, not away from me. you got to run to the light and love the light, not hate the light and run to the darkness. Let me say this again. Think about the roaches, the light switch, your life, and these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever fully trusts and believes in him should not perish or die eternally, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, we know that roaches scurry and run from the light and into the darkness. And you may have heard in stark contrast that a moth is attracted to a flame or a light. 
Let me say this very succinctly. <laughs> but I hope it burns an image into your head. Don't be a roach. Be a moth. Become who Jesus created you to be. Focus on the internal, not the external. God bless you, convict you, and give you grace and courage to come to the light, not run away from the light. To focus on the internals and address them, not to deflect the blame and die eternally, but to live eternally in your Maker's presence. Thanks for listening, guys. You know I love you.